0: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry
1: App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest,
2: Welcome to Go Green Radio. I am so glad that you could all join us because if you're like me, the topic that we're going to cover today is something that's been of concern. As many of you know, I'm a mother of three. So talking about plastics and what's safe, what's not in the consumer market has been a big issue the last couple of years. Um, And It's a bit frustrating because it's hard to know where to go for the best information. And fortunately, today, my two guests are going to lay it out for us, give us some straight talk on what's going on in the plastics industry, particularly when it comes to food and beverage packaging items, what's safe what is not, and I'm really glad that they could join us. Mike UC is the CEO of a company called PlastiPure, and Stuart Yaniger is one of his vice presidents for Plastic Pure. and also just recently concluded a study with some other members of his research team uh, that I found quite interesting. I read about it in Discovery News uh, earlier this week. And what they did, and I'm going to let Stuart talk to us more about their study in a few moments, is basically they tested hundreds of mainstream uh, plastic uh, containers and wraps and things that would touch food or beverage. And they found that even in ones that were considered BPA-free – they still, under normal use, were leaching chemicals that most of us as consumers would consider unsafe for human consumption. So I'm really excited about this show. If you have comments, if you have tweets, you can share your tweets with me at @jillbuck Jill Buck as we go along. If you have questions, you can call in. We'll give you that number in just a few moments. But first of all, I'd like to welcome Stuart to the show. Stuart, I read your study as it was published in Environmental Health Perspectives, and the title kind of fascinated me. The title is this, Most Plastic Products Release Estrogenic Chemicals, a Potential Health Problem That Can Be Solved. And I'm curious, why did you say potential health problem? Why the nuance on that title?
3: Oh, uh, Hi, Jill, uh, and thanks, uh, thanks again for, uh, for having us on. Um, the paper that we published was in a uh, scientific journal, a peer-reviewed journal, and these are a little bit different than popular press in that... Uh, you really have to lay out everything that you did uh, it has to be laid out in enough detail to be replicated and other scientists in uh, an, uh, an anonymous way will look your paper over and uh, make sure that y- you've got things right that uh, that the paper is likely to be corrected and that you've really revealed everything and you've been completely honest about it and uh, that's really why the nuance in the title uh, we have to be very precise in wording for scientific journals um epidemiology and that's really the study of uh, public health effects of uh, things like uh the, the uh, sort of estrogenic chemicals we've been looking at it's it's a noisy science uh, it, it takes a long time for you to be able to establish definitive links. Uh, you can't really, for example, take 20,000 humans and put them on one island and then take another 20,000 humans and put them on another island and dose one island with chemicals for 40 or 50 years and follow them. I mean, you just, you just can't do that with
2: people. That sounds impractical, yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so you, you, you have to sort of look at uh, things which are in, in a sense uncontrolled, and it, it takes a long time to establish the health effects of things like this. Uh, tobacco was a perfect example. Uh, you know, you, you, to this day, if somebody who is a smoker dies of lung cancer, you can't definitively say, ah, it was the cigarettes that caused it. You can just say that there's I think, uh, there's a likelihood there's uh, people who smoke are far more likely to get uh, lung cancer. It, it took a long time, and many decades, to establish the link between uh, between tobacco and lung cancer and tobacco and emphysema, and it took a long time to establish that that link was causative uh, rather than just being a correlation. Uh, the the science of endocrine disruption is from that perspective, relatively new. This is uh, people who have been looking at this for about 15 or 20 years now and really, really serious research and a lot of accelerated research in the past 10 years or so. So I think 20 years from now, we will be able to look back and be able to say, it, 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 it's, it, it's a cause or there's a correlation. Uh, I don't think that the epidemiological community is there yet to the point where they can say this is 100% definitively proved. Where they are is to say, boy, there's sure a lot of evidence here and it seems awfully likely.
2: So in the meantime, I mean, 20 years is a generation. So in the meantime, let's kind of focus on what we can definitively tell or at least expose for the, uh, you know, consideration of consumers. Let's talk about what, what your study kind of points to. And that is estrogenic activity or EA chemicals within these plastics. Some of our listeners are scientists and some of them are like me. I was an English major. So if you could help us understand what EA or estrogenic activity is and why it's a public health concern so that, you know, people sitting around, you know, at their kitchen table can understand, that'd be great.
3: Sure, and uh, don't feel too bad. My uh, my training actually was in uh, physics and chemistry, so this was all uh, I had to play a lot of catch up <laughs> to, uh, to understand the uh, the biology involved. Uh, the uh, The lead author in our study, uh, Dr. George Bittner, is a uh, a brilliant biologist, and uh, I think he really became sort of aware of these effects uh, some years ago, and we'll uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, to, to give some background. The endocrine system is, uh, they're glands. They, they secrete hormones and, uh, there are receptors to detect these hormones. It's, it's a signaling system in the body. Uh, each type of gland secretes different types of hormones and they're, uh, secreted directly, uh, into the bloodstream. And they're part of the body's regulatory system. Uh, they, uh, they regulate things like metabolism, uh, growth and development, uh, your, your mood, uh, how your different organs function the hormones once they're secreted uh they travel via the bloodstream uh, throughout the body and uh as i said they're their signals and the uh the hormone receptors and in this case we'll talk about estrogen receptors uh detect the presence of these uh, hormones they interface with the cells and uh they signal the cell to do something uh the the receptor will bind the hormone chemically it'll just sort of grab hold of it uh much like a a key in a lock and um, this regulates the uh the internal processes. Uh the, the, these uh the um, uh the production of uh of hormones is environmentally stimulated, uh and it's stimulated with time, especially through the development cycle of uh of embryos, fetuses and uh and children. But uh, throughout the uh the lifetime of the organism. This is uh the way the body regulates itself. Uh, now endocrine disruptors and this is uh, something which has become very very uh... very important and very much better understood in the past uh, decade or so uh... these are chemicals that uh... that interfere with uh... with the endocrine system they act like their uh... uh... like their uh endocrines. and in this case we're going to talk about estrogens and we'll go into that a little bit more uh... estrogen is one type of endocrine and in fact it's the most common type uh, the body when it sees signals to do things that uh... it's not supposed to be doing uh... bad things happen Uh disruptions have been associated with things like uh... uh cancer with birth defects and uh... especially developmental disorders uh, learning disabilities uh... a d d uh... brain development and uh... even some uh... deformation of uh... of body parts uh, there's feminization of, of males, uh, early puberty. Uh, the, these things is, it's fairly well established that, uh, that endocrines, uh, that uh, exogenous endocrines, that, that is endocrines that come from the outside as opposed to the things that the body is producing naturally, uh, can cause these effects. The important thing to note is that these happen at very, very low concentrations. Uh, when you think of something being one part per billion, you think, well, that's not a lot, and yet we have very, very strong biological responses at uh, at those kinds of concentrations. Now, now, you
2: recently, oh, go right ahead. I'm sorry, go right no, ahead. No, no, please. Well, you recently conducted a study that tested the EA, or estrogenic activity, of various plastic products, and you got these plastic products at, you know, some Very well-known retail outlets where a lot of us shop, Walmart, Target, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, etc. Tell us what you found. We've got maybe three minutes before a break, but don't feel rushed. Tell us what you found when you conducted this study.
3: Okay. What we found was that the, uh, the plastic materials leached, uh, and, and when I say over 90% of the plastic materials leached uh, estrogenic chemicals, and that is to say these are chemicals that the body's estrogen receptors uh, think is estrogen. They, they th- they're getting false signals from, uh, from these chemicals. And 90% was a very large number, and that was extremely surprising. The alarming part was the high levels that existed in baby bottles, and that includes uh, BPA-free baby bottles. Uh, it came from the bottles. It came from the nipples we found that it didn't matter what recycle number uh, was involved. Uh, I, I've, I've seen it written that, oh, gee, you know, you should look for number three, but avoid number seven or, or what have you. And That's it, it on the FDA matter.
2: website, as a matter of fact. Yeah,
3: and that doesn't really matter. You see the same sorts of endocrine disruption uh, from plastics of any sort of recycle number. Oh. And the other issue was the retailer. You can't do any better by going to, for example, an organic retailer. We saw the same sorts of issues with, uh, with the packaging uh, in those markets as we did in sort of more conventional uh, retailers.
2: Well, and you know, there's been so much attention given to BPA lately, and manufacturers are kind of falling all over themselves to come up with BPA-free products to be marketed to consumers. But uh, your study notes that some of the substitute mar- materials that they're using in place of BPA are actually even worse when it comes to estrogenic activity. Isn't that
3: correct? That's exactly right. Uh, now, BPA. I mean, the reason people are concerned about BPA is, in fact, because of this—the uh, estrogenic activity of it. It's a moderate estrogen uh, mimic, it, which is to say it's not a super strong one, it's not a super weak one, it's it's kind of in the middle. Um, but there are thousands of other chemicals that have the same effect. Uh, the estrogen receptors are what are called in biology a promiscuous receptor. and It's kind of an amusing <laughs> term, but it means what you might think. Uh, it means that there's a variety of molecules that will sort of fit in that lock and uh, will fool the receptor into thinking that it's grabbed hold of, uh, of an estrogen molecule. And BPA is a very, very well-known example, but there are thousands of others. And that was the point of our study, is to look at what is the biological effect, what is the amount of endocrine disruption that happens from these plastics, independent of what particular chemical caused it.
2: Wow. This is heavy stuff. We're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we're going to talk with the CEO of Plastipure, Mike UC and we're going to ask him some questions about his company, his solutions, and what he thinks about this study. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: News. Opinion.
3: Can
0: you hear me? Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just joining us today, we're talking about a topic that touches each and every one of us. Unless you buy absolutely no plastic at all um, and use no plastic in your food or beverage uh, packaging, life, then this subject affects you. And I know that I cannot be the only consumer out there who felt like, hey, if I'm buying BPA-free plastic, I'm good to go. Well, we just found out in the last segment that, in fact, that's not true. The reason that we've all been concerned about BPA is because when it's introduced into the body, it has estrogenic activity which is an endocrine disruptor and basically that's the way our body communicates with itself our hormones uh talk to one another and that's the the English major in me trying to make this uh kind of kitchen tabley but the bottom line is a study that was just conducted by Stuart Yaniger and his colleagues showed that even BPA free plastics in particular even baby bottles that were BPA free still leached chemicals that had estrogenic activity or EA present which is bad for our health, bottom line. Mike UC is also on with us today. He's the CEO of Plastipure. Mike, I find this study that Stuart and his colleagues conducted very enlightening, of course, but it's also maddening. Um, as I mentioned, I know I'm not the only mom out there who thought that my family was safe if I simply bought BPA-free plastics. And I'm sure you know this. A lot of folks in the retail industry know this, but... Women buy 80% of consumer goods, particularly grocery items. So when you're talking about plastic food and beverage containers and packaging, you know, you're dealing with a lot of women here and we're starting to lose faith in the plastics industry and our federal regulatory bodies like the FDA. Mike, where can we turn for credible information and safe products for our families?
4: Well, I, I think the I think the question is a great one, and um, I would say I can uh, certainly sympathize and empathize. Um, my wife is also an English major, and uh, we have a six-month-old baby, and so uh, uh, even for us, it's difficult to find uh, good information on a lot of this information uh, that we're talking about today. I think for 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 consumers, they really have to look today at trusted organizations that provide information. Non-governmental organizations, for example, like the Breast Cancer Fund, has uh, a pretty good list of things that are uh, safe, and or safer, I should say, and products to avoid. And also with the, um, uh, I would say, trusted press that are focusing on these issues, uh, the science has been out there for a while. I think consumers just don't readily have access to it. Um, in terms of the regulatory environment, I, I, I think that most consumers, as you said, have kind of lost faith in uh, many of the regulatory agencies because they're really uh, not functioning as leaders in this area. Um, And by the same token, uh, looking at press releases or self-reporting from manufacturers is not generally the best way to get this information. And so, again, I think consumers really have to look at um, what outlets do they really trust, and also to get the information themselves. Look at the studies themselves and, and be skeptical and um, and, and understand uh, how, this, how these studies are funded and who benefits. And ultimately, I think what they'll find is there's a group of trusted organizations they can go to to get the information and to read the studies themselves.
2: Mm-hmm. I think, you know, for some people, it's getting to the point where, you know, because we're so unsure, because we just don't know what's safe and what's not, there's a real temptation to reject plastic altogether and and find ways to purge it from our lives. But before we throw the baby out with the bathwater, talk to us about some of the advantages of plastic. I mean, you know, there are some really good things about plastics in our lives. So give us some reasons, you know, to, to push for safer plastic rather than just abandon it altogether.
4: Sure, sure. I think most people understand that plastics are, are everywhere, and, um, and they have great physical and chemical properties that allow us to live the safer and, and comfortable lifestyle that we have today. Um, they're customizable. They're lightweight. They're durable. They're inexpensive. Um, in most cases, they have less of an ecological impact uh, than glass and metal with uh, a lower carbon footprint. Uh, they're easily recycled. They biodegrade. Uh, so our message to consumers is that um, plastics are great, but they can easily be made safer.
2: Well, you know, one of the things that we've talked about on this show before is that issue of plastic being lightweight. Um, you know, if we were to replace everything that's plastic with glass, that's so much heavier. And when you're transporting goods, uh, from a manufacturer to a grocery store, for instance, um, the heavier the load, the more fuel is used. And so, you know, there really is this trade-off. Glass, of course, is reusable, recyclable as well, but because it's so heavy, um, it's not the best substitute for plastic when it comes to packaging, when you look at all the past packaged goods that we buy. So, you know, it's it's a tough trade-off when you're talking about the environmental footprint and the health of, of our packaging industry. You know, one of the things that I mentioned earlier, and that is losing faith in our regulatory system, um, is something that I read about all of the time, um, you know, with mommy bloggers, green mommy bloggers, we I mean, were talking about where's the FDA? Um, you know, where is the USDA in all of this discussion? And it seems like when you look at their website, it's so nuanced, it's ten years behind, the most cutting edge uh studies and, and research and, and it's really frustrating. Could you help us understand the regulatory environment around plastics and how food and drink packaging is impacted by that by that regulatory system? How does a plastic product go from a concept to an actual container in a store? How does that work?
4: Sure, I think there's there's really two questions there. One is, uh, when do the regulatory agencies really take on these issues and, uh, and do the research and make the recommendation? And the second is uh, exactly what is that process? And I'll answer the first, and I believe Stuart can answer the second. And and this this will be a constant theme as we we talk. Uh, Consumers are really the ones that are driving a lot of the actions uh, with the press and with the regulatory agencies. If you look at historically what's been regulated, generally the science has been there for many, many years. There's just a certain time when these agencies start to become involved, and when they become involved, generally it's when consumers or, or consumer groups are starting to push back, um, after the fact, when uh, when issues are known about certain chemicals, and so if consumers want the FDA, USDA, and other agencies to to uh, regulate uh, more uh, food and beverage safety, they're going to have to apply pressure to these organizations, and uh, they're going to, uh, as you said, uh, the, the the blogging, the emailing, the calling, uh, the pushing the product manufacturers and retailers to carry these safer products will then drive regulatory uh, action at that point. A good example of this where it hasn't happened yet, but the industry has changed, is if you look at uh, BPA-free baby bottles. There's Mm -hmm. still no uh, U.S. legislation limiting polycarbonate or BPA in baby bottles, and yet it's very hard to find one um, on the market today. Mm -hmm. In terms of how the regulatory process works, Stuart, maybe that's one that you could could get into. Take
2: it away, Stuart.
3: Yeah,
4: uh, interestingly, uh, and when you think about it, it, it
3: makes sense. The FDA does not certify food packaging. Uh, if if you buy a, a pouch of uh, of some food stuff from, uh, from the grocery store, the FDA has never looked at it. What they have looked at is some of the raw materials that went into it. So if you're a manufacturer of this packaging, uh, what you do is you use only materials which uh, the FDA has already approved, When you've made the package, typically what you'll do is uh, submit it to a compliance firm. and These are private organizations, uh, usually associated with law firms. They'll go through your ingredients list and generate a letter uh, certifying that everything in there is uh, compliant with FDA regulations. Oftentimes they'll send it out to an independent, again, private lab, which will, uh, check, uh, to make sure that nothing's migrating out of it, uh, at a greater level than the FDA allows. And you have a, you have a letter, and that's it. Uh, realistically, the FDA can't really approve every piece of food packaging, because there's so many, and they change all the time. And I think an analogy would be, uh, you know, the power cords for, uh, for your computer. I mean, the, the, the uh, uh, OSHA can't look at every single one of those, so you have organizations like Underwriters Laboratories uh, or CE which will look at these things and certify them. And these are uh, done by uh, by private organizations like that, but the private organizations are also certifying that these products are in compliance with, uh, with applicable uh, regulations and uh, with the law.
2: So what, in your opinion, is missing from that process to ensure optimal public health and safety?
3: It's not so much what's missing as uh, keeping things contemporary. It, it takes a long time before things become regulated. And again, I'll use my example of, uh, of UL or CE approval. Uh, they'll look for things that go beyond what the, law, uh, what, what the law calls for, and because they can be sort of on top of things. They're not subject to uh, the vagaries of politics, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have any constituency other than uh, than the public. It's their good name that goes on the product, which says uh, when you plug this computer in, it's not going to catch fire. Uh, likewise, uh, we believe that uh, it is going to take organizations like that, and that's really our role uh, to be able to uh, certify products and be able to say, if you use this product, it will not leach uh, dangerous chemicals.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and let's talk about that, Mike. I mean, you have some products. Your company, PlastiPure, um, has some products and some patented processes um, that address this issue. Um, give us give us a rundown on your EA free plastics.
4: Okay. Well, first of all, I'll say that if you look at um, the materials and the products that uh, that we certify and uh, in some cases produce, um, they're in most cases, indistinguishable from products that are on the market today. Um, Their use, their cost, their look and feel, um, not unlike BPA-free products in most cases, uh, are indistinguishable. We are, in effect, a technology company that works with a variety of uh, product manufacturers and, and resin manufacturers to remediate their products to make them safer. So in general, we'll work with uh, a baby bottle company or a water bottle company or a resin manufacturer and um, and then give them the information that they need to make these products safer, and then we'll test and certify the product after the fact to make sure it actually meets these standards. And getting back to uh, Stewart's input about the uh, certifying agency, uh, that's, that's where we position ourselves uh, in, in most cases with these their interactions with product manufacturers. So that's really
2: interesting because I, you know I read on the FDA website that they currently have no process to actually test for hormonal disruption and and that sort of thing. So I want to get back to that after we take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back, and I'll ask you to talk to the, to us a little bit more about how you test those products for EA free uh, composition. Go go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
1: Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.
0: Wellness Network.
2: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today, if you're just joining us, here's our topic. We're talking about... "Quote unquote safe plastic." Is there such a thing, or is there not? Um, we have learned so far in the first two segments of the show uh, with our guests Mike Uc, CEO of Plastipure, and Stuart Yanniger, Vice President of Product Research and Design at Plastipure, who also um, has been talking to us about a recent study that he and some of his colleagues have conducted on plastic food and beverage containers that you could buy at any. Uh, mainstream retailer out there and they found that even in the plastic wraps, containers, bottles, etc. that they purchased from mainstream retailers that were BPA-free. That's what we've all been looking for, BPA-free plastics, and we thought they were safe. They found that even BPA-free plastics that were out there, even in baby bottles, 20 different baby bottles that they conducted tests on, were leaching estrogenic activity uh causing chemicals ea uh, situation of chemicals out of this these plastic products and that's what we were all concerned about with bpa that it had estrogenic activity which disrupt uh our endocrine system and our our hormones put our our body's communication system out of whack and cause some serious health problems so now we know it's not just BPA that we need to be looking for. There are literally hundreds if not thousands of other chemicals present in plastics that we can buy every day that cause this same activity. Now one of the things that we were talking about in the last segment is that the FDA is not regulating this, uh, not to the extent that a lot of consumers might expect. We might expect that if we go in and go to our local grocery store, a reputable retailer, and purchase a food or beverage item, that it's safe, that there's no problem. Um, but we found that that is not necessarily the case. And so we're looking for a solution. And we're going to be talking to Mike and Stuart about what their company, Plastipure, is offering. And uh, Stuart, I'd like for you to talk about Plastipure as a Uh, An organization, as a company that can take a look at the plastics in our food and beverage packaging system and certify it as safe or not. Tell us more about what Plastipure is doing and why consumers should be looking for your seal on a plastic product that they're purchasing.
3: Sure. Let me let me talk a little bit about uh, how we do the testing. And I think the first thing to look at is we've done, and I hate to use this cliche, but we really have done a paradigm change. Uh, in the past, people have focused on a chemical. You know, we've looked for BPA. We've looked for lead. We've looked for dioxin. And you typically do chemical tests. Now, because of the complexity of endocrine disruption, because of the fact that there are thousands of chemicals which potentially can be endocrine disruptors, uh, because they uh, exist in different combinations, there's synergy, there's potentiation, uh, if you try looking at these things one chemical at a time, you'll never get there. Uh, You'll never have a comprehensive solution. So what's really been done here is to look at it biologically. What we do is there is a, a type of breast human breast cancer cell uh which its reaction to any estrogenic chemical is to proliferate uh, that is it just starts growing <laughs> it, it it starts mm-hmm. multiplying faster and what we do is we'll take a plastic product and cut it up uh extract it with some common solvents i mean things like water things like uh ethanol which is uh the common alcohol uh simulants for things like milk juice and so forth uh, we'll sit the simulants on that plastic for uh, a short period of time, uh, typically 72 hours or so, then take that solvent off with whatever it's pulled out of the plastic and uh, expose the cells to it. Now, if there's something estrogenic in there, and it doesn't matter, again, what particular chemical it is, but if there's anything estrogenic in there, those cells will start multiplying at a faster rate than they do if you didn't extract the plastic. Uh, I can go into sort of eye-glazing detail on the sort of controls and the checks we do in these experiments, but these are a very, very reliable and quantitative way of being able to detect how estrogenic an extract from a plastic is uh... so this can be done with any sort of product now what we did in our study is we looked at the products as they came off the shelf but we also looked at the products after uh... they were stressed and using common use stresses so for example a baby bottle you, you'll buy a plastic baby bottle and it may be fine when you first buy it uh... Um, but we also we're interested in what happens after you've run it through a dishwasher uh what happens after you've put it in a microwave what happens uh when you expose it to uh to sunlight and uh, we'll measure those things as well uh now to return to my previous point right out of the box there was still over 90% of uh, of plastic materials which leached something estrogenic but once you expose them to some stresses that number goes up even a little bit higher so if we're going to certify a product if we're going to say this product is from the standpoint of estrogenic activity safe then we want to make sure that it remains safe throughout the expected product life cycle and i think that's a very important part of our testing as well
2: now mike uh, you know your your company plastipure has this testing capability but you also have products that pass uh, that testing capability, and and they are EA-free. Talk to us about Plastipure Solutions.
4: Sure. Sure. We work with a variety of of product manufacturers and resin manufacturers to make their products safer. Um, So we we developed a line of uh, uh, personal care product uh, packaging. Uh, We work with a water bottle company named HydroPack to make safer water bottles. Uh, we're currently uh, negotiating with some large baby bottle companies to make safer baby bottles. Um, this, most of the products that we have in process now should be hitting the market uh, in late uh, 2011, early 2012. But I will say that, that the technology we have can, can go across uh, multiple industries, uh, things like medical products, uh, uh, cosmetics. Um, it doesn't even have to be packaging. So uh, for consumers to to have more access to these products, they're going to need to talk to um, their preferred brands, uh, manufacturers now, to say, if you want uh, an EA-free Gerber baby bottle, then talk to Gerber and tell them you want it. If you want to go into Whole Foods and have a variety of safer plastic solutions, then talk to Whole Foods, because we have technology that can be easily implemented today at about the same cost as what people are doing.
2: You know, that's an interesting point, the cost of it all. Um, what's keeping the plastics industry from just doing it? I mean, why isn't everything EA free now?
4: It, it, it's actually simpler and, and more difficult than people think. That sounds the
2: <laughs>
4: answer. But um, we've talked to many major manufacturers, resin manufacturers, processors, product manufacturers, and there's not a consensus uh, among these manufacturers. Uh, about um, how big this health issue is, meaning that some of these companies really believe this is a significant issue, some don't. Um, But in most cases, whether they believe uh, in endocrine disruption or not, they're not going to produce products uh, until there is demonstrated consumer demand. And Mm -hmm. so if I talk to an executive at Company A and and they agree with this, they're still not going to produce the product until they have uh, a defined demand for it. And by the same token, if I talk to maybe a more conservative um, plastic industry executive, they're not going to not produce a product uh, if consumers demand it. So really the biggest challenge we have is not convincing product manufacturers, retailers, or resin manufacturers the issues with EA. It's uh, to educate consumers so they know who to talk to and what to talk to these people about. Because once they um, let these Manufacturers know that they will preferentially buy products that are safer, specifically those that uh, don't have estrogenic activity, then that market will turn very quickly. And a good example of that, again, is the BPA free market, where you had uh, very large retailers change very quickly, and there was no pending legislation on this.
2: Yeah. I love what you're saying because I'm a big proponent of the power of the purse. I mean, I'm all for free market solutions. I don't think we have to mandate, regulate, and legislate everything. Um, and I think that consumers have a lot more power than they realize. I think those who are active on social media, a lot of, like I was saying, the green mommy bloggers are out there, and they are starting to realize how much power they can have to make a shift in the market and the products that are available just based upon uh, talking about it and and getting support across a, a large base for it, even without legislation, which, I mean, I think… You know, that's becoming more and more difficult in this environment um, to hope that the government will just take care of all these issues, that consumers really can get the job done uh, even if Congress is gridlocked. So I think that's a very powerful and positive uh, message that you're putting out, Mike. You know, Stuart, I've got a quick question for you. You know, some people think that maybe plant-based plastics uh, might be immune to this discussion. Are they or do they exhibit EA? behavior as well
3: yeah uh, that's an interesting question and the 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 answer is uh, again given our results not that surprising in retrospect it didn't make much of a difference Uh, Mm -hmm. the the source of the raw materials for the plastics uh, whether it's from petroleum whether it's from plants is just sort of one component in the sort of thing which cause which causes uh estrogenic activity uh things like additives uh things like uh impurities breakdown products and so forth uh, are, are are very big contributors and these things they they don't know whether it's sitting in a plant uh, plant-based matrix or not mm-hmm. so uh I mean, yeah the short answer is it makes very very little difference
2: So even if you're out there buying corn-based plastics, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're safe. You know, this is really interesting. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll have more with Mike and Stuart, and we're going to be talking about even more, about what we can do as consumers to protect ourselves and our families um, from some of the hazards that are currently um, out there in the plastics that are in our lives. But uh, the good news is there's something you can do. So an empowering message is coming your way right after this quick commercial break.
0: Healing occurs from the inside out. To awaken and activate the body's healing mechanisms, your emotions and thought patterns must be addressed and aligned with your truth. These concepts are discussed in detail on The Light Within, Awakening the Inner Healer with host Joan Jacobs. We'll introduce you to a new way to interpret and address your body's language of symptoms and how to turn disease into a platform of profound personal growth. Tune in to The Light Within every Monday at 10 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
2: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just joining us or you joined this episode late and you think, gosh, I wish I would have caught the beginning of this episode, it's really an important topic, and it is, um, don't worry, because we're going to replay this show on the Green Living channel of Voice America on Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific, noon to 1 on the East Coast. Everybody in between, do your own math. So again, you can either recommend this to your friends, or you can catch us once again. If you go to voiceamerica.com, click on the Green Living button. Uh, next Tuesday, 9 a.m. Pacific, you can catch this episode. Once once more, We are joined by Mike Yussi and Stuart Yanniger of Plastipure, and we're talking about um, what's going on in the world of plastics and how you can keep your family safe. Mike, I've got a question for you. How closely are the plastic and chemical industries working together to solve this issue? How would you rate their collaboration on this effort?
4: Well, I think this is uh, good news, bad news. I think that the bad news is that they're not working on this, again, because... Uh, Currently, they don't perceive uh, significant consumer demand. Uh, They believe, like with BPA-free, that once the market starts to change, then they will scramble reactively and and address this issue. The good news is that we've spent 10 years, we at Plastipure spent 10 years in developing uh, not just uh, the solution, but um, a solution that can be implemented in mass production, so we're able to work at all levels in the supply chain to readily implement uh, the CA-free solution. But again, uh, changes won't happen um, even with all the scientific evidence that shows this is an issue until consumers become uh, engaged and and push uh, product manufacturers and retailers uh, to carry these safer products.
2: Time to storm the castle. Basically, is that what you're saying?
4: <laughs> you bet. Just um, consumers. I don't think generally realize how much power they have, and uh, if if you uh, reach out uh, either through uh, blogging or emailing or calling or talking to your your local retailer and ask, just ask for uh, a product uh, that has a tremendous effect on what's on the shelves today. <laughs>
2: So to my listeners, basically what we're saying is, you know, just as we saw a couple of years ago when mommy bloggers were essentially single-handedly responsible for getting BPA-free baby bottles uh, to become the norm rather than the the exception, uh, this is another opportunity to go another step further and not just ask for BPA-free. BPA is just one of the chemicals that's causing this estrogenic activity that's so uh, unhealthy for us. What we want to push for is EA-free plastics. And the way to be sure that we're getting EA-free plastics is to ensure that the pure seal is on the plastics we purchase and to force uh, those companies that rely upon our patronage to follow that process that PlastiPure has patented and worked on for the past 10 years. Stuart, here's a question for you. You know, one of the things that is so frustrating to me as a mom and as a consumer is that I don't know what the chemical ingredients of the plastics I use may be because that's considered proprietary. Companies don't have to reveal that. So on the one hand, if my child is allergic to peanuts, for instance, I can check the label to see if there are peanuts in a food item but I can't check that same packaging label to see if there's a chemical with estrogenic activity in the container. Now, I know that you're a scientist and you've patented many things over the course of your career, but from a consumer safety perspective, how do you feel about making the chemical content of food and beverage containers more transparent?
3: That's an excellent question. And uh, the, the answer is a little more difficult. Uh, there are several different layers of secrecy involved. Uh, the people who will make Food packaging, for example, won't know all of the ingredients that go into the raw materials that they're buying. The raw material suppliers will look at a material and say, "Well, you know, gee, we've got less than uh, 500 parts per billion, less than half of a part per million of any impurities in here, and that's good enough." Uh, but what are those impurities? Uh, what happens to these materials uh, when they're stressed, when they're put through manufacturing processes? Uh, And as I had mentioned before, the concentration of chemicals needed to cause estrogenic activity is incredibly low, incredibly small quantities, so that even if everybody said, you know what, we're going to be as transparent as we possibly can, you can't really, by just looking at the ingredients, uh, know that a product is safe. The only way you can really tell is to test it and that's really what our research has has focused on let's go test it and independent of what's causing an issue or how much is in there let's find out is this uh, does this material uh, cause uh, estrogenic activity does it uh, uh, does it cause uh, endocrine disruption if there is a certification if the product has been tested then it doesn't matter quite as much what ingredients are in there known and unknown you can have some confidence that uh, that the product will be uh, will be safer for uh, for you and your family
2: mhm so uh, that makes perfect sense. I mean what we need is basically uh, an equivalent of the good housekeeping seal or something like that to help us feel that you know these products are safe that they 've actually been tested currently they haven 't been and that 's kind of alarming i mean that 's something that I think a lot of consumers take for granted um, and, and it 's really interesting to learn that that's not the case. And there's so much that we need to do, um, whether it's our food and beverage packaging, whether it's our cosmetics, to educate ourselves and to take action by communicating with the companies that we buy products from. And I think Mike them. is so right. I mean, you know, the, the power of the purse is is power indeed. I mean, these companies rely upon us to buy their products. And if we just simply won't, if they're not certified to be EA-free... Um, I suspect that their practices will turn around in a heartbeat,
3: Stuart. Let me clarify the... a little bit of sure. Mike's comment before, uh, sure. which is to say that we'll work, we work across industries. Uh, we, we're not committed to our particular products. I mean, anybody who is making a product can come to us, have these things tested, and if there's estrogenic activity, we can work with them to fix the problem. Uh, we're we're not pushing that we should be manufacturing all the plastic packaging uh, that exists in the world uh, it 's more of let 's fix this problem manufacturer by manufacturer
0: mm-hmm.
2: so you become a clearinghouse that companies can go to for help uh,
3: exactly uh, you can you can think of us as uh, as consultants in that sense, but uh, also testing and certifying uh, Our interest is that anything that carries our seal whether we've made it or whether someone else has made it, is truly and comprehensively free of any of these uh, estrogenic chemicals.
2: Mm -hmm. Stuart, for our listeners' sake, what are the three most important things that you'd like them to remember um, when it comes to the plastics in their lives?
3: Yeah, there's three very simple things, uh, and and I think we've touched upon most of these. Uh, plastics are good. We're we're not trying in fact quite the opposite. We're not trying to give a uh, an anti-plastic message. Uh, we think plastics are convenient. They're the right ecological choice in uh, in most situations. Uh, they can be made safer without a complete disruption of the industry. Uh, We're not talking about having to make things ten times more expensive and uh, much rarer, much harder to make, much smaller volumes, with very, very minor changes in the way that we make plastics. And we've got some very good molecular models which tell us how to do this. Uh, plastics can be made safer. And then the third point is uh, something, again, we've, we've said over and over, which is it's all in the hands of consumers. Plastics will be made safer when manufacturers feel that there is demand for it. When consumers ask, manufacturers will deliver.
2: Well, that's, that's a really encouraging message. Um, and I would encourage our listeners to do a couple of things. First of all, look at the plastics in your household, what you put in your grocery cart, Every week, um, and consider reaching out to the manufacturers of those products and letting them know you want them to be certified EA or estrogenic activity free. I'd also encourage everybody to take a look at PlastiPure's website. It's plastipure.com, P-L-A-S-T-I. P-U-R-E dot com and you can find out so much more um, even communicate directly yourselves if you'd like with Mike and Stuart our guest today. Gentlemen thank you so much for joining us on Go Green Radio today I think uh, while this topic is a bit alarming because plastics are a part of our everyday lives you've been very encouraging in helping us understand what our choices are as consumers and action that we can take so I appreciate you being on folks there's going to be a lot more Go Green Radio same time same place next week, so be sure to tune in. Until then, have a great week and Go Green!